The key data point that I use and have been using for a while, and it's honestly how I just search properties when I have them, is the days on market. Days on market means the average listing that's uh, that's in the MLS in the market, how many days has it been active? And that will tell you how quickly properties on average tend to get scooped up. You found the Real Estate Law Podcast. Because real estate is more than just pretty pictures and law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. If you're a real estate professional or looking to build real estate expertise, then welcome to the conversation and discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. Welcome to the Real Estate Law Podcast. My name is Jason Muth, and we're here again with attorney broker Rory Gill from Next Home Title Town Real Estate in Boston, along with Urban Village Legal. Rory, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jason. It's good to be here. Seeing myself in the uh, in the recording, and I look a little tan. Uh, I think I've been outside a little bit too much. I know I, know I, I tan quickly. You tend to get a little pink, right? I do get a little pink, but been out in the sun, I'm still perfectly white. So, you know. yeah, well, you're not burned. You know, that's usually that's what happens with our skin tones. Like I go from not tan to either tan or burn than tan. You go from what? You go from white to red to back to white. That's OK. Yeah. Well, at least I'm not going to burn with all this rain that we've been having. So, yeah, it's been it's such a crazy summer here uh, in the Northeast. I mean, we've seen lots of wildfires out west. We've seen record temperatures in a lot of markets out west. I mean, man, 120, uh, almost 130 degrees in some places, like numbers you never see on the map here. Uh, here in Boston, I think we were just about having our rainiest July ever. We're recording this in the middle of July. I think it's uh, rained at least uh, a measurable amount almost every day this month. My garden looks fantastic. I brought some flowers inside so you could have a look at them. You see them over my shoulder. Uh, I know we're not here to talk about my garden. We're not talk- talking about the weather, but we are talking about uh, something that actually is a is a subject that I'm sure that lots of casual real estate mm-hmm. and real estate tangential folks are into, and that's metrics. Everyone loves seeing uh, how much their places are worth. I'm sure people are digging into Zillow and Zestimates and uh, online estimates all the time, and you know. Those systems have improved as time has come on, and, and you and I have talked about that in previous episodes, and we talk about it offline as well, but they're not perfect. Mm-hmm. And what we wanted to do in this episode was run through some of the real estate market data that's out there. And if you're listening to this podcast and you really want to know where to begin or you want to see where to focus, you'll hear it right from broker here in Boston as to, as to what you do, Rory, when you're really analyzing a market for some of your clients. Yeah. So yeah, say we get to talk about math a little bit, but it's this we're gonna start off pretty simple with kind of the 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 basic metrics that are out there. They're super easy to find. Um this is one of the industries where there's almost too much data that and the challenge is really just deciphering it and understanding what to make of everything. Most transactions are included in databases or an MLS, other consumer facing uh sites as well as appraiser sites. There's no limit to the amount of data that you can find for real estate transactions in the real estate market. So with that same data that's open to almost everybody, how do we interpret that? And how can you judge your market or a market that you're thinking about entering? Um, or just the market where we are today, as opposed to last year or next year. And if you want, I can hop right into it with some like the most basic piece of data that's out there. 
Yeah, absolutely. Why don't you hop right in? I mean, data, this is very different from some other episodes we've done where we're talking about uh, issues, legal issues on the property, or if you're walking a property, what to look out for. If you're doing a home inspection, what things to look for. You know, that's all incredibly important because you're on site. You see it, you smell it, you touch it. You see the date of the hot water heater downstairs. You see the water runoff that's happening outside. You see the condition of the actual carpentry. You see the property. But these are numbers that are probably going to precede uh, you're actually walking onto a property, whether you're selling it or whether you're buying it. Uh, these are the data points that are available online. I know that some people hate math. And this is kind of basic math, so it's not anything to get too worried about. And we have written pretty extensively about real estate math at nexthometitletownrealestate.com. But yeah, let's get right into a couple of the uh, quick little data points that you might look at first when you're really trying to digest some of the real estate market data uh, that's out there. So the, the most basic bit of data out there is just the inventory number. And that's basic. That's how many active listings are there in the current market you're looking at. And that number might not mean very much on its own. You know, if I told you right now that there are 168 condominium units available in South Boston um, on the market, what are you going to do with that information? Um, Starting there, you don't know what to do. So, but it's the entry point. That's the market that we have, it's the inventory that we have. Um, But we have to dig a little bit deeper and compare that to how does that compare to the market normally? How does that compare to a year ago, and what are the other things that are going around around that inventory? Right. I mean, that's a number in a vacuum. You have nothing to compare it to. So it's literally just one data point. And the definition of a line, Rory, is two data points, right? Connected. Mm-hmm. That's true. And this is also kind of a difficult year to look at through the, the data that we have. And I don't want to date us to a particular week, but this year has been a kind of a, a roller coaster ride with both supply and demand and a lot of mismatch out there. So there's been a lot of fast moving changes um, and some kind of extreme numbers on both directions that have happened. But nevertheless, I'm going to start by comparing this year to last year um, in the two study markets that we have for today. So we have the, the condo units in South Boston. Last year at this time, there are 168 condo units available in the market. This year today, there are 81. So there's the inventory is about half of what it was just one year ago. Okay, um, stop right there one second yep. though, because what we want to say is that this is all, you, you know, data changes quickly. Um, mm-hmm. and this is just an example, right? So we're just taking a look at one snapshot in time and, and, and we're going to try to help you, the listener, uh, understand how to interpret this data. So my interpretation of what you just described there is that the inventory has been cut in half, like mm-hmm. year over year. So, I might make the logical assumption that maybe prices have gone up because there's a lot less inventory out there. However, there's other factors in play that will determine did pricing go up or down. So keep it up, keep going. Yeah, so I'm I'm putting that bit of data out there because you know, we're going to try to leap and draw a story from that. But that really isn't the end of the story um, because it's going to contradict what I'm talking about for kind of the, the second most obvious bit of data that's out there. And that's the median uh, listing price for a home. So this, what is, if you were to look at the different properties available, what's the middle percentile um, listing price for what's on the market? Alone isn't going to tell you much. It might tell you, you know, if this is expensive market or not, but it's not giving you a history right there. 
But why I say that the first bit of data we gave isn't congruent with what we're saying now is that in our, our particular neighborhood, in this one location, the median list price has gone down over the past year mm-hmm. by close to $100,000. So that could mean a couple things. And I'm, I'm digging back into a stats class that I took many, many years ago. And I'm sure I'm going to get emails about this from mathematicians that I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. But I do know that the median is the actual middle number of a data set, right? Yep. And, and the mean or the average is different from that. That's the average of a data set. Now, if you have a standard distribution, the mean and the median will be the same thing. It'll be the same exact point right there at the top. But you know, if the distribution is not standard, the mean could be higher or lower than the median. So what you've just described right there, I might look at that and say, hey, wow, the median sales sale is lower uh, and inventory has been cut in half. So you know, maybe demand went down in this neighborhood. Maybe some of the higher end properties or the fringe properties on both the higher and lower end might not be marketed right now. You know, it could be a couple of different things. Like what, what do you think might be going on, Rory? In this particular market, I think that there were just um, a lot, a large number of luxury units that were available this time last year. Um, that was kind of the glut that we had in the market. That was the glut that we had before going into the pandemic, the part of the market that was soft. Um, and there was very little inventory of, in a more approachable sense. Um, and that's shifted a little bit. A lot of those units that are really high at the really high end have come off. They've turned into rental units or they've kind of withheld some of the, the listing inventory. So this is a bit of an artificial price dip. But it also shows that the price stagnates. And when you're talking about the difference there between the mean, the average, and the uh, median, this is why we like to use the median in real estate. Because one development, one unusually depressed corner of the neighborhood, or one unusually um, affluent area of the neighborhood can throw the numbers for everything else. One luxury unit or one distressed property can really um, play with the, the average. It's an interesting number to look at, but the median is going to be a bit more instructive to give you um, a clear taste of the flavor of the neighborhood. Right. Now, you're talking about a snapshot right now, year over year, is what you just mm-hmm. described there. Would you analyze the trend between those two points? So would you have, and, and granted, seasonality is important in a market like ours. There's other markets where seasonality doesn't factor too much. Mm-hmm. But how would you compare those two in the months between? You know, because you're taking a look at July versus July. But what if you track the median? Like, does that give you any more information? That it absolutely does. Um, you you'll run it over um, time. The, the median price is one of the things that I believe can be tracked a little bit more over time and give you a bit more information. Whereas I think the inventory number really has to be adjusted um, quite a bit more for seasonality. You'll have a lot more typically available inventory in the spring and summer than you will in the fall and the winter in this area. So if you try to say, you know, if you're analyzing numbers in November and saying, wow, the inventory is way down from six months ago in May, there must be some sort of systemic drop. That's not true. That's the seasonality speaking. But the, the median this price is going to be a little bit less impacted by seasonality. Right. Now, the starting point is the overall number. So are you searching for a zip code? Is that what you've done? You can do it a few different ways in your data set. It depends really who I'm looking for and what I'm looking for here. It's in this test case that we're using right now, it's a, you know, our neighborhood has one zip code that fits neatly right. on there, but that's not always the case. Okay. So let's just say you're looking at a zip code for just for, mm-hmm. for example purposes and you get your data, you get your, uh, the median 
uh, number and you get the number of units that are on the market can, and you get it for the whole zip code. Okay. So just mathematical laws that the larger the numbers are going to be, mm-hmm. the more reliable the data tends to be. Okay. But, you know, so it seems as though a good starting point would be to check the zip code or the area overall. But then if you want to dig into the specific property type that you might be investigating, can you break down the overall numbers and cross tabulate by a couple smaller subgroups that might allow you to see what's happening with just the two bedroom condo market, for example, or the single family home market? Absolutely. And the more specific you're getting with the question you're asking, the closer this goes from being a market analysis into being a CMA, a uh, comparative market analysis about a particular property. So the, the tighter you want to drill down, the smaller data set you'll have, um, where you'll have to start making a lot more subjective decisions to really judge to judge your decision. You know, at play there, we when we're taking the market analysis for, for the whole neighborhood, we're trying to get a snapshot of the broader sense of supply and demand that's out there. But when you're drilling down, you're um, factoring in the, you know, the rarity of that particular home type. Um, uh, you know, there are a few waterfront homes in South Boston. They're pretty rare. So properties in, on Farragut Road or, in, or right along the water, they're rare. They come available less frequently. So they require special attention, a lot more subjective decision, uh, decision making when you're, you're analyzing it there. You know, same thing for commercial properties. If it's particularly useful, um, commercial properties in a broader area may not speak to the value of a particular property at a great intersection. So the utility of that particular property comes into play too. Right. As well as any other problems that are associated with a particular property. But when we're talking about market analysis and the numbers here, we're thinking pretty broad to get a sense of what's going on um, at the neighborhood or the city level. Okay. So starting with that broad sense that we're just taking a look, and before we get into a couple other data points, like what is actionable about the information that you've just described right there about the median price uh, and the number of units that are available on the market? So it's going to inform um, your decision-making as a buyer. You want to know, well, Actually, a step back here. It made it's going to determine whether or not you're going to seriously look into entering a market in the first place. If you're an investor and you're driven by numbers, you might be able to get a sense that a neighborhood is very unlikely to give you uh, to meet your investment goals, or it would be very prime to meet your investment goals. You're evaluating a, a neighborhood to see if you want to enter it in the first place. But as a buyer looking at particular properties, even as a primary residence, this is going to inform your strategy. Does the data suggest? a large seller's market where you have to be competitive and really aggressive? Or has the data changed and suggest uh, that you can be a little bit choosy and a little bit demanding um, in a buyer's market? Um, these are This is ultimately, we're going to take all these data points and distill it down to um, the competitiveness of the market to inform a person. And the same thing for a seller. You flip it over and you can dictate what strategy you're going to use. Is it about speed to market? Do you want, does the... Do the data points suggest you need to list the property quickly without making any repairs because just getting the market on the market right now is a prime opportunity? Or does the or do you really need to fix up the property and um, have it perfectly ready for showing before you'll have success? Right. This also should help inform a buyer if if they're going in there and they're looking to negotiate down or they're looking to overbid, you know, which is what we've been seeing all year in many places around the country where you're submitting offers that are, you know, five, 10, 
15% higher than the list price, you know, and that would also probably inform Homeseeker what their range is, what they should be looking at. You know, in the past, you might have gone up to your maximum and then looked at those maximum properties and then said you could negotiate a bit off the top. Now, you might be going in there searching less than your maximum, knowing that you're going to have to negotiate a price that's above, you know, what you just put in as a filter in whatever you know software you're using, um, and you're probably going to have to go in 10% above that that list price, which is probably the true price you might get it. And and th- these data points will help inform the velocity and the direction of that market, right? Yeah, and you brought up a data point that I think people should be a little wary of, and that is the price versus the listing price. So when you're saying that a you know properties in this area are going for 5% over asking on average. That's interesting to note. That tells you that this is an in-demand market. Properties, you know, if it if it jives with the other data points, it'll suggest that, that it is in fact a competitive market. But it's a dangerous uh, stat to look at when you're deciding what to put an offer in on. Just because a property is listed at a certain price doesn't mean that it's worth it. So just saying that you're going to bid 5% over the listing price blind, that's pretty ill-informed and that's a little dangerous um, to what's out there. So when analyzing the value of a particular home, take your other data points, look at the comps that are out there and the trends in the market. Uh, don't just go off a percent of list price. And then, and then just because you're under agreement at a certain price doesn't mean the bank's going to finance that price if the appraisal comes in way low. And that's a whole separate conversation. Absolutely. But that's, that's an anchor to this. Um, they're looking into the same data set that we are. Right, right. Okay, so let's continue on with some of the other metrics that are available for us to look at. Like, Rory, what are some other data points that um, you'll dig into? The key data point that I use and have been using for a while, and it's honestly how I just search properties when I have them, is the days on market. Days on market means the uh, the average listing that's uh, that's in the MLS in the market, how many days has it been uh, active? And that will tell you how quickly properties on average tend to get scooped up. Um, again, you can combine this with the other information that you know, but if uh, the average days on market is 14, that means the average property is only available um, for offers for two weeks. Um, if the average days on um, market is 110, then you have 110 days on average to put in an offer in the property. And that number is a really, it's a big red flag to how competitive that, that market is. Um, this is something that most casual real estate investors and most casual home buyers know to look for is the days on the market. And that really dictates your strategy. If something's been on the market for two days, how you present an offer is going to be very different from a property that's been on the market for, for 58 days. Right. And then you're going to want to compare it probably to the days on the market for the zip code. So if days on the market for the zip code is 30 days and this property has been on the market for 110 days, what do you do? Like, what do you think is a good strategy? Let's say your buyer is like, what's wrong with this one? Let's take a look at it. Well, that's, I mean, that, that's a fair question to ask, you know, what's wrong with this and why is it sitting there? But that question actually should be an, an open-minded question. What's wrong with this? Well, maybe that property has a particular flaw that isn't fatal to you, but is turning off a whole series of buyers. Perhaps it's a condo unit in a building that doesn't have the owner occupancy rate to allow for FHA loans. That's going to, to chase away a few buyers and potentially keep it on the market for longer. But if you're also an investor buyer, that may not be a problem for you. So investigate what the what you expect the problem is going to be, but keep an open mind because it still may be good. And it also indicates that you can get into a longer conversation with the seller about price and terms that you may not be able to find in a place that's recently um, put on the market. 
I know we've done uh, past episodes on questions that buyers really should be asking. You know, those are the types of things that can uncover why a property has been listed for as long as it has. Uh, and then, you know, we've been in situations ourselves where um, I've I've offered up on properties before they hit the market, and that's what we're sitting. That's what I'm sitting in right now, where we recorded uh, the past couple episodes uh, when we were up in New Hampshire at one of our short-term rental properties. That I recall was sitting on the market for a few months. Like when we looked at it, like it had just been sitting there and there were a couple of price reductions. It's hard to believe that that was the market five years ago, you know, but that's how cyclical everything is. Five years ago, that property that we own right now that we use for short-term rentals and, and we pop into on occasion our, our, ourselves, that was on the market for many months and they had a couple of price reductions and it was just sitting there. And I was convinced there was something wrong with it. But um, the data points just told me that I can go in and offer low. And I think that's what we ended up doing and, and we negotiated and got it. But those those data points that you're referencing right now, I mean, days on market, that was like literally the first thing I thought of. I was like, why is this sitting there? Mm-hmm. And when we're working with a lot of buyers now, I having a conversation, you know, I almost mentioned the days on the market, but ahead of what the list price is, because that is it's almost more important letting the buyer know what they need to do and whether they have a strong chance at, at getting the property. Okay. So we're talking about real estate market data and metrics that are out there when you're evaluating properties or if you're going to sell your home, uh, knowing what is going on in in your zip code or your city or or town or your part of the city. Uh, We've talked about inventory. We've talked about the median price. We've talked about days on market. What are some other data points, Rory, that we should probably go into? So the um, the final one I have, and the one that really kind of synthesizes everything and determines whether you're dealing with a seller's market or buyer's market, is the number of months of inventory. And the idea here is, it's a statistic that says how many months of inventory are right now, meaning that if properties were to be absorbed at the rate that they are currently, and nothing new were to come on the market, how long would it take before the inventory completely runs out? And this number is important because you know this synthesizes a few different things that are available this this makes sense of um, the the market volume that's out there as well as the um, the, the days on market so this is here where you know this is where we can see pretty big wild swings um, certainly in this past year where beginning of covid uh, when the market slowed down the inventory number crept up um, you know, again, looking at this particular neighborhood, there were four and a half months of inventory available rate, um, which is relatively high. And today there's one and a half months of inventory. In some of the more desirable suburbs, we have less than a month of inventory out there, uh, meaning that if no new properties were listed, it would just be weeks before there'd be no houses for sale in those communities. Right. That doesn't really factor into the demand because there might still be demand there to buy properties if indeed they existed. Yeah, so the number is not a perfect step, but it's it's a great shorthand for a lot of different things. And the number that I kind of keep in mind is six. So if there's if you have more than six months of inventory, you're now entering a buyer's market. Less than six months of inventory, you have a seller's market, and then certainly less than three months, you have a very strong um, seller's market. Right. Now you know all this data is available for just anybody to look at online. Right? Like you could probably go to any of the major sites, realtor.com, Zillow. Absolutely. And and professional realtors will have access to the MLS, which will compile this data much faster. Um, With our MLS systems, I can generate reports and cross, you know, Mm -hmm. with 
crossed criteria and everything and come up with some really precise information um, pretty quickly. But, you know, even a consumer can find this data out there. They may have to look at just a little bit harder to put it together. We should say that a lot of this data is also available on many Realtors' websites. So on nexthometitletown.com, for example, your website, you could pull some of this info right there, or at least you could request the info through you, right? Absolutely. So you can take a look at, uh, we have an IDX feed uh, where you can see what's available in the market um, and look at some statistics. Um, and then if you have any questions, <laughs> we're here, um, we click away and you can ask us uh, to look right. into something else. The data is the data, um, but there's you know kind of a, a second data set that you could look at. I mean, like you do a lot of closings both on the real estate side and, and as an attorney. You know, if you're working with um, a client and you're repping the representing the bank or title company or what have you, so you're seeing a lot of these numbers and you're seeing the list price, purchase price, days on market. Uh, you know, for the the work that you're doing. You know, is there anything you're gleaning from all the closings that you're a part of that? you know, disagrees with the data or does that, is it, is it behind the current data? Because like a lot of closings you're doing, if you're, let's say you're, you know, you're closing a deal as the attorney, maybe that was reflective of what was happening two, three months ago. Like how, how do you reconcile all that on your day to day? So everything seems to be fairly consistent. Um, you, to the general conclusions that we're in a strong seller's market um, and that it's projected to continue for a little while longer. Um, at the same time, you know, this has been a year where there have been so many shifts so quickly and so many reactions to to earlier shifts where the, the challenge is to just keep an eye out to, to early indicators of what's going on out there. So there are a couple others outside of what we talked about today that um, I take a look at. The other is the rental market. Um, even though it is in many ways operates separate from the purchase and sale market, um, a weak rental market shows some weakness in, um, in, in the market that will eventually find its way through to, to home values. If there are any kind of un, really unusual sharp swings, um, it's an indication to look and see what the story is on the ground. Um, if, you know, when everything else is going up, but in a particular neighborhood, the um, the price, the median price is going down. There's a story there, um, and you want to take a look at it. Well, a lot of people shy away from math and metrics. Um, I, if, if you made it to this uh, far in the podcast, maybe you're not one of them. Um, and uh, you know, I think people get into sales and get into real estate because they don't like math. Um, I don't know. Did people in law school like math or is that one of the reasons why you went to law school too? Law, math is not a, a subject taught at law school um, at all. So yeah. it's, um, but you know, this is but there's stuff. a story there. I mean, that yeah. we're talking about some simple stuff here and this isn't, this isn't rocket science, but if you look at the numbers, there's just, you, you'll, you'll see the story emerge. Um, right. You can bring the story to life. Use the data to shed light on what the story is. Use it as another data point, you know, if you're investigating property or if you're looking to sell your property, see where you stand against, uh, you know, a comparable set of properties in the marketplace. Um, and, you know, you can have all the data in the world and price your property the way you're going to. But if you have terrible photos, for example, if you're going to list it, you know, you're going to be at a disadvantage. So, I mean, it's just one, it's just one more um, ingredient in the recipe uh, for how to get the price you're looking for if you're selling or how to negotiate the price uh, and find the right property if you're buying. You know, there's some, hey, the stuff we see on TV, right, on HGTV, not a lot of this is numbers-based. It's very, you know, it's pretty. You hear that the contractor went over by 4,000. It's a dramatic 
you know, plot point, they go to commercial, uh, and then they come back and somehow, you know, they end up selling the property for over asking. Like it sounds all hunky dory, but, um, you know, just work with your, I, I would encourage you to work with your uh, agent. If you're listening to this, uh, to help decipher some of this information, um, you know, Rory, you certainly walk everybody through all these numbers, you know, if you're working for them, uh, in whatever capacity, right. Yeah. When you took a look at the marketing strategy, you can also see some trends there too. If you overlay a bit of subjectivity, you can see that properties that have good solid photos and good marketing materials tend to have lower days on market. Um, and that's, you know, so when we try to divorce this whole, you know, the whole creativity of real estate agents um, from the numbers, it doesn't, it's, that's not really true. The numbers, the, the proof is in the numbers. Right. Thank you for pointing us in the right direction of what metrics we should be looking at if you're looking to analyze some real estate market data. Uh, you know, next time we'll have to have you right on the board right behind you and you could, you know, go all old school teacher on that on us. Uh, but a lot of people are listening to this and not watching it. So uh, they mm-hmm. would not be able to take advantage of seeing what you're on the board. No. And I am not a math teacher, but I can uh, shine some light on some stats for you. Cool. All right. Well, good. Well, thanks again for your time today, Rory. Uh, this has been the Real Estate Law Podcast. Uh, Rory, where can people find you? I'm easy to find at urbanvillagelegal.com or nexthometitletown.com. And uh, we should say that if you're watching this on YouTube, if you could please like us and comment, that would be great. If you are listening on iTunes, if someone sent you a link, it would be great if you could subscribe. If you want to give us a review, uh, that would also be amazing. We also have these posted on Instagram TV or IGTV. Uh, we love comments there as well. And uh, and that's it. So until next time, uh, my name is Jason Muth, and uh, we really appreciate your listening. And this has been the Real Estate Law Podcast, uh, talking all about real estate market data. So. <laughs> Thank you, Rory. Thank you. See you next time. Yep. This has been the Real Estate Law Podcast. Because real estate is more than just pretty pictures, and law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. We're powered by Next Home Title Town, Greater Boston's progressive real estate brokerage. More at nexthometitletown.com. And Urban Village Legal, Massachusetts Real Estate Council, serving savvy property owners, lenders, and investors. More at urbanvillagelegal.com. Today's conversation was not legal advice, but we hope you found it entertaining and informative. Discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. Thank you for listening.